Welcome to another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman, as usual, and it is officially episode 22, Feeling 22, by Taylor Swift will be coming right up. I'm just kidding. We don't have the rights for that. And also, I don't want to play Taylor Swift on a, on a motorsports podcast. So, anyway, uh, let's see. We got IndyCar 2020 race recap on cap for today. But before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. With me being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them, No Copyright Music. On today's special episode of the 2020 IndyCar Race Recap, we have a returning special guest, and you're probably wondering, hmm, who could it be? Well, it's none other than the Andretti Autosport driver of James Hinchcliffe. He's on the show for a second time, so I guess he thought the podcast wasn't too bad if he uh, decided to come on for a second time. Like, come on, I mean, I'll take that any day. But it is the first time ever in this show's very brief history, so I got to give a shout out to James Hinchcliffe for wanting to come on the show, and uh, and we talk about a lot of different things, so uh, let's dive right into it. James Hinchcliffe is on the show to talk about the 2020 IndyCar season. Hello, David. Hey, James. How's it going, bud? Good. How are you, man? I'm well, thanks. I'm well. Now, what have you been up to uh, here recently? Oh, you know, just uh, trying to uh, get our program for 2021 sorted and working, uh, you know, working through some of that stuff and trying to stay in shape and get ready, not, not let the off season catch up with you. And it's going to be a shorter off season than usual. So it's going to be important to uh, stay on top of everything. And St. Pete's going to be here before you know it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, obviously the most important question I'll ask all day, um, how are Lucy and Weller doing? <laughs> they're doing very well. Thank you for asking. We, uh, they're going to have to get their hair cut pretty soon. They've got their winter coats grown, and they're both a little bit shaggy at the minute. But as much as I love it, it's a nightmare to keep up with. So we're going to have to get them a trim soon. I'm sure. Man, it's always a difficult situation, especially when they're in the snow and they got all the balls of snow and exactly. cotton and That's just, oh, man. And we're going north for Christmas, so it's going to be uh, hopefully very snowy. I'm sure. <laughs> But, um, yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, first off, you mentioned about about uh, trying to get your program ready for 2021. Uh, how has that been going? Is there any progress at all? And what's the kind of status update with that? Yeah, I mean, for sure, progress. We're getting, uh, you know, we're getting all the pieces in place. You know, as, as you can imagine, these deals are a combination of, you know, many different moving parts. And, you know, it all sort of culminates in everybody having to come to terms uh, with different things. And so we have, we have all the players at the table. It's just, uh, it's kind of putting, I want to say the, uh, it's kind of a, a assigning certain things to certain people in the right way and, and just sort of making it all fit together. But uh, no, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. We uh, we're going in the right direction and, and hopefully in the not too distant future, we'll have something to, uh, to tell everybody. Yeah. Hopefully we're able to see you full time then. Um, uh, then looking back at, um, you know, your season overall is kind of a crazy season. Um, you ended up running six races, uh, and then obviously the final three uh, with uh, in the number 26. Just how would you just grade just or assess just how the season went overall for you and just a crazy type of season just with COVID and everything? Yeah, I mean, obviously this was a very challenging year for everybody involved in the series and, and obviously, you know, outside of that globally, everybody. But um, to, to try to orchestrate, you know, a series running – 
14 races. I think we managed to fit in a handful with fans, you know, a lot of truncated schedules, a lot of uh, difficult logistics for crews and teams and, and all that. And, you know, my, my year was always going to be a bit, a bit different anyway. <laughs> it was always just going to be a kind of a weird year for me. And, and this obviously made it weirder. And then with what happened at the end of the year and jumping the 26 made it weirder still, you know, was, was not expecting that phone call. And, um, you know, I'd say overall it went fairly well, you know, being the, the extra car and Andretti for those first few races, you know, Texas, we had good pace before a pit stop problem. And, um, NDGP was, you know, we didn't, didn't catch a yellow the way we wanted, uh, Indy 500s thing, you know, running in the top five before we had a little hiccup in the pits there and still raced our way back up to, I think seventh we were at the end. So I, th I think for a, a bonus, a bonus program, that was a pretty solid effort. And then, um, you know, jumping into the 26, the, the harvest GP was, it was a bit of a challenging one for us, but, um, but St. Pete was, was obviously going really well until it wasn't. So, uh, and that was not just for me, a couple of my teammates joined me in that program as well, but yep. no, I think it shows there's a lot of potential there and, uh, and I obviously fit in well with the team and, and the other drivers. And so hopefully it's a program we can, we can keep running. And you mentioned uh, uh, St. Pete, the season finale, obviously one of the crazier races that at least I've seen in my lifetime in IndyCar. Um, I've you know, six cautions, including your teammate Alexander Rossi spinning out as the leader, and then pace car runs out of fuel, and then, you know, uh, just an accident you had had, and with, uh, you know, ended up going to the Jack Harvey as well. Just besides that incident, how did that race go for you, do you feel? Yeah, I mean, besides that, it was going it was going pretty much to plan. You know, we uh, we kind of rolled the dice a little bit in uh, in the fast six and and decided to try to to stick it out on blacks. And you know, we were we were front row until that last lap there. So I think the Reds maybe just had a little bit more. Um, but you know, the race was going pretty smoothly. It was really tricky conditions. You know, I think once we saw that first caution come out, the uh, the pace car was running really slow behind the leap behind uh, or sorry in front of the pack. And I, I know that's, you know, an order by any car. That's, that's not an Oriole thing or anything. Um, that's just, that's how it works. But the tires for whatever reason were really struggling to keep, to keep heat under those cautions. And that's why those restarts were, were so messy. And we had so many cautions as a result of that. And, you know, I was caught out. I, I spun an Indy car at 30 miles an hour. And I know that was physically possible, but that's just how little grip the, the tires had at that speed. So it was, um, yeah, but like I said, up to, up to that point, Alex Colton and I were just kind of running our race and uh, had a de decent gap on the guys behind. So it was a, a really, really strong effort from the Andretti guys, you know, up to that point. And then moving forward, and then obviously Joseph Newgarden winning the race. Uh, Scott Dixon would secure the championship, uh, you know, making him second all time with uh, six championships. Uh, just only one more to go to tie AJ Foyt. Uh, just talking about Scott Dixon a little bit, just. You know, you've raced with him for a number of seasons. Uh, what just what's about or what sets him apart from other drivers, not only just on the track, but then also off the track? You know, I think I think on the track, it's uh, it's it's just a function of his, you know, he's just he's unflappable and um, uh, combining his demeanor and his raw talent with the team is capable as Chip Ganassi racing from, you know, in an engineering standpoint, strategy standpoint, their pit stops are always stout. It's a, uh, it's a really dangerous combination for the rest of us. You know, he's just, um, he's one of those guys that's able to salvage bad days into not that bad days. And, and that's really what makes a championship. Yeah. You got to win races. You got to be on podiums, 
Um, but it's when your car's off or, or something goes against you on the day, you got to be able to, to kind of claw back as many points as possible. And, you know, you think back to like Portland last year in the dirt and the tires on lap one and ends up fifth in the race. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's days like that, that really make championships. And, and that's what Scott and that team are so good at and off track. I mean, he's just so damn nice and he's, just, <laughs> he's just such a good guy, great family. Uh, he's a hard competitor, but he's a very fair competitor, He's one of the few drivers that doesn't doesn't have any problem admitting mistakes when when he's made them, you know. And uh, and despite all his success, you know, his his humility is still uh, is still you know a, a top thing when you talk to him. It's, it's very noticeable. So he's just uh, he really is the whole package. And the one thing that's just kind of I noticed is the fact that it just amazes me. He's he just turned forty, and just the fact that he's only continuing to just you know get better with age. And it's I've always just been really just just inspired by something like that it's like wow like he could easily keep on notching these wins getting these championships and who knows what he'll end up having yeah and that's that's the ultimate question right it's it's very interesting to think when does a guy like scott dixon decide to hang up the helmet because it's he he's very lucky in in the sense that not many drivers make that choice themselves you know, I think an overwhelming majority of drivers are sort of told when their time is up at this level of the sport. And, you know, at 40, still winning championships, um, still clawing, like you say, up up the, the leaderboard on, on most wins. Scott's going to be able to make that decision on his own. And he could do it at the end of next year and no one would begrudge him. And he could do it in five more years after three more championships and no one would be surprised. It's just, it's such a unique situation. He's such an enigma. We haven't really had somebody quite like that in, in our sport for, I mean, I've never seen one, that's for sure. And going back to, uh, you know, your partial season, what just on a typical race weekend, obviously when you have, you know, when you're able to run like a full season, you kind of have that camaraderie with the, uh, you know, with the crew members, everything else. Just what are just some of the main difficulties that come with having to run a partial schedule? Yeah, it, it's kind of like you said, you know, it's uh, just working with the crew throughout the year. It's it's like any team, right? If uh, imagine any other team sport and you just kind of jump in for three games, you know, you're not going to be completely in sync with all the other all the people on the team and. Uh, and it's the same in racing, you know, it's, it's speaking the same language as your engineers, it's having that camaraderie with your mechanics, it's, it's fitting in with your teammates and knowing, you know, how to understand certain, you know, moods and discussions in the engineering office. And, um, you know, luckily I did have some history with the team. So there were some familiar faces, which certainly helped, um, you know, both on the 29 when I ran that car and the 26, when I ran that car, there were, there were people I knew, um, but yeah, without starting the season together and, and working together the whole year, it, it's always going to be that sort of half beat off, you know, and uh, and that's hopefully what we can we can rectify for next year. And then just looking back on, you know, the 2020 season, who are some guys that just impressed you? Just obviously you were with NBC and uh, just looking on what were who are some guys just as you're watching that were like, wow, you know, they're having a pretty good season and just who impressed you the most? Uh, who impressed me the most was Renus VK. Um, you know, he, he came into the season second in lights to, uh, to Oliver Askew, who had been, you know, a force to be reckoned with in the road to Indy. Not that Renus hadn't, um, but, you know, Ollie kind of came in a little older, uh, a little more mature. Obviously he came in with the lights championship and, you know, Renus's driving style was always very spectacular. You know, it was very fun to watch, but you worried that, 
at, the, at 19 and that type of driving style, we might've seen a lot of mistakes, maybe flashes of speed, but you know, very kind of roller coaster season and, you know, kicked off in Texas, proving all those people, right. You know, with uh, a crash in practice and then a crash in the race. And then from there on out, man, he went on a tear. That was something a rookie can be incredibly proud of. Obviously a pole position and a podium at the harvest GP, but several other top five, top six finishes, um, he matured at a phenomenally quick rate. I don't think his pace was ever in doubt, but how he was able to manage the length of a, of an IndyCar race was, uh, was definitely something that really impressed me throughout the, uh, throughout the season. I thought Marcus Erickson had a really strong, especially first half of the year, mm. um, you know, regularly being deep in the top 10 for in the top five, uh, was kind of surprised to not see him get a podium this year because of how he started. Uh, I think obviously Pato did an incredible job all year. Um, and then Colton, you know, I mean, it, there's always that, that talk of the, the sophomore slump, right? And uh, that was definitely not the case with, with this kid. I mean, he finished last year with a win. Um, the team struggled, admittedly, at, at a couple races, a couple tracks at the early part of the season, but he just sort of just sort of held his own, stayed out of trouble, notched, notched up those fourth, fifth, sixth place finishes. And then when the pace came at the end, knocked off, you know, the win and some podiums and, and put himself third in the championship. So that was another uh, very stellar performance. And I'd say, yeah, definitely Renus VK, obviously, uh, you know, just he, you know, you mentioned about Texas and people started to write him off just a little bit. I could, you know, just from like, you know, stuff I read, you know, whatever, but he just automatically just, you know, just, just like that. All right, let's go back out in there and just, yeah, he had a stellar season and, and obviously you mentioned, um, you know, Pato Awards, like the fact that your first full-time season, you're able to get into the top five in points and just compete for podiums and wins, like that's impressive in itself. And it just bodes well just for the future, just not only with him, but with IndyCar as well. No, no doubt. I mean, you know, the the youth movement's always going to be an important part of, you know, any sports series and especially motorsports we're seeing at nascar right now with with chase elliott you know winning the championship and, and being most popular driver and um the, the fact of the matter is the, the scott dixons and and will powers and and ryan hunter rays you know they have more races behind them than in front of them and so we need to have a, a strong group of young guys coming in and, and competing and you have that in your in your pottos and your felix and your uh and your arenas like we were talking about so, uh, and Colton, obviously. So it's, yeah, no, it's the, the future is definitely bright for the series, I think. And also, I had to mention, uh, well, Jack Harvey, I feel like that first whole time season with Meyer Shank racing, especially towards the latter part of the season, they just seemed to knock off like those, uh, you know, fast six qualifying efforts and didn't quite show in the race just for, you know, unapparent reasons. But it seemed like Harvey and that entire team started to pour it on towards the latter part of the year. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I I was remiss for not mentioning them. I actually sent a, a text to Mike Shank, you know, after the season was over, and and just said to him like, hey man, like you know, we were I was part of that program when it started as a, a technical alliance with the the Schmidt team, and then uh, obviously we came over to Andretti, quote unquote, together <laughs> or at the same time. Uh, and I just said to him how, how impressed I was with how that how that organization had grown, you know, starting it. I think it was six races year one, 10 races year two to a full season. And and then also just Jack as a driver. It's been it's been fun to watch kind of from the inside as much as the outside. Uh, and it's it's awesome to see that a sports car team could come in. And, you know, they obviously had a ton of success in, in Grand Am and IMSA. And 
I think they really did it the right way. You know, that sort of incremental approach and, uh, and now they've got another part-time car coming in with Elio for six races next year, which is, which is going to be very exciting. And I think that's going to help not only the team, I think it's going to help Jack out a lot as well. So it's uh yeah, a great effort by those guys. You mentioned Elio just, how much of an effect does like a veteran driver have just on a team, especially of his caliber, you know, winning three Indy 500s? It's going to be massively helpful. You know, I mean, the the fact of the matter is, you know, they, they do have a technical partnership with Andretti. So it is kind of by extension in, in a lot of ways, a, a sixth Andretti car. Uh, but to the same extent, a lot of us now, you know, it, me, Ryan, Colton, Marco, Alex, we can all now kind of tap into Elio a little bit and benefit from him. And, you know, Alex has been his teammate on the sports car side and has a lot of great things to say about him. Even still, you know, with his experience at his age, his one lap pace is like shockingly impressive. Um, he's one of the only guys that you would you would put you would you might put money on against willpower on a, on a one lap shootout, you know, at, at certain tracks. And so uh, I think he's going to bring a lot to that program and, and hopefully it can benefit us a bit as well. You were a pit reporter you know, for NBC for various races and obviously an analyst as well. Just from the TV side, what were some of the challenges of that? Just stuff you had to kind of figure out as you went along and just, um, you know, just just what was like a typical day like for you? Well, I mean, it was, first of all, it was, a, it was a tremendous opportunity and I can't thank everybody at, you know, at NBC and NBC Sports Network enough for, you know, taking a, taking a, a rookie by the hand and, and helping him get through, you know, that season without doing anything too stupid or swearing on air, which was always my biggest fear. Um, it was, it was, it was great though, because I got to experience both sides of it. You know, I obviously did most of the races in the pits, but I did do, uh, Iowa up in, up in the booth as Townsend was racing. And it was very cool to kind of get to see how that works, to get to see the races from a different angle. Um, it was uh, definitely a bit of a baptism of fire. There's not a lot of, of I don't want to say not a lot of preparation, but there's not a lot of like coaching. I assumed I was going to have to sit through some seminar on how this works and like with the do's and don'ts and this, that, and the other. And it's basically like, here's your headset, here's your battery pack, here's a microphone, go for it. And so, you know, I, I leaned a lot on the other the other analysts and other pit reporters. So, you know, big thanks to all of them because they all helped me a ton throughout the year. But it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a cool experience. And yeah, who knows? Something maybe I'll uh, I'll dip my feet into a little more when the driving stops. And you did a phenomenal job. I have to say that first off. And I like, you know, I've done a couple I've been doing a lot lately just on the TV side, uh, you know, for our station here. But the, the one thing I've always just been kind of you know, had difficulty with is the fact that someone's always talking in your ear, whether it's producer, director, that kind of thing. And I don't know if that kind of, you know, because you've had, you know, like a crew chief or anyone else like in your ear, if that really affected you at all. No, it's, it's funny that that throws you off at first for sure. But I think that, I think that drivers do get used to it a little quicker for that very reason. You know, I'm used to focusing on one thing, but having to listen to somebody and process information that I'm getting at the same time. I think what was hard about it was hearing something and maybe even getting an instruction or some kind of useful information while doing something with your hands and feet is one thing, but while you're talking, it's almost something else, you know, because you're hearing words and saying words and trying to make sure that those two don't sort of cross can be a bit challenging, but, uh, but no, it was, uh, like I said, it, it was a lot of fun and, and everybody there knew, I think, you know, what to do and when to do it to help make sure I didn't look silly. 
he definitely didn't look silly at all. He just looked like a natural, I will say that. But, um, but yeah, looking on to 2021, you know, the big news for next year, seven-time NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson's coming over for Ganassi for just the road and street courses. Uh, just what are your thoughts on the move, and how do you, or what are some challenges that he'll have to try and figure out just as he kind of goes through that first season? Well, uh, quite a few for sure. Um, it's um, it's a big transition, you know, moving from um, stock cars to open wheel cars, and you know, especially with how much stock car experience Jimmy's got. You know, he's he's uh, been racing that that style for a long time. I love the drive that he has. I love the determination that he's got, you know, to, to really attack this the proper way. He's asking the right questions. He's willing to put the work in, uh, learning all the new tracks on top of learning the car, I think is going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, but you know, he's a seven time champion. He's an absolute pro. And if there's one guy that's, that's going to be well suited for this, uh, this situation, it's going to be him. So I'm excited to see what he can do. And we can't talk about Jimmy Johnson without mentioning supercar driver uh, Scott McLaughlin coming on coming on over from uh, supercars in Australia. Uh, just with these uh, bigger name guys from in motorsports coming over to IndyCar, what does that say just about IndyCar as a whole? Um, I think it's great to see you know the appeal that it has sort of on a on a on a wide scale um, that people from you know you say from sports cars, from stock cars, from touring cars. Um, you know, even Elio wanted to come back. He missed it so much. And, uh, and I think that says a ton and, you know, Scott, obviously phenomenally talented, you know, Roger, Roger did an incredible thing in finding. And I mean, I know he was already established with GRM over there, but, uh, by locking down Scott and, and providing the tools to just have a dominant couple of years over there. And then, man, he is really impressed in the times that he's been in an indie car. Cause again, it's, it's a very different beast. I know I've gone the other way and I know how, how difficult that transition is. So, uh, no, I think Scott is, is poised for a really, really strong year in 21. And in light of uh, COVID-19, just obviously there are a good bit of changes that IndyCar had to go through, uh, just throughout the season, how do you feel just the sport as a whole, uh, handled it just with so much just unknown and just so much weirdness coming, just going on. Honestly, I think you got to give them an A plus to, uh, you know, like we said at the beginning, to be able to pull off 14 races, some of them with fans. We got the Indy 500 in um, the the way they kind of had to think on their feet. They had to adapt on a weekly basis. The story was changing all the time. Uh, the effort that the series had to put into planet and then the effort that the series and the teams had to pull off to execute. Uh, was tremendous, but you know we had we had partners that we wanted to to provide for. We had obviously the fans we wanted to provide for, and uh, we had great cooperation and support from from both of those categories. And so I I think it was uh, given the circumstances an A plus effort. Something I hope we never have to do again. But <laughs> I'm I'm really proud of the effort everybody put forward. Yeah, who knows how 2021 and beyond will be, but <laughs> we have got to be hopeful. Um, but yeah. Yeah, final question. Uh, looking forward, how does the how does the sport continue just to surge and continue just to just gain popularity and interest? That's a that's a great question. I mean, I think the number one thing has to be the on track product. You know, I think if you if you're producing good racing and producing something people want to watch, people are going to watch it. You know, uh, it would be great to see you know anything that helps highlight the personalities of some of these drivers. We have some great characters in the series. Um, obviously, you know, NBCSN has been a great partner on the TV side and, you know, we need to just keep, 
keep utilizing that relationship and cross promoting with some of their other properties and just, you know, getting, getting eyeballs on the series. Cause I think as soon as people watch it, they're usually taken away by it because it is, uh, it is such an exciting thing. So, um, that's, that's a, that's a, a question and a, and a task for somebody above my pay grade. But, uh, I think, I think a lot of the pieces are in place to, uh, to keep seeing this growth that we've been seeing for the last few years. Oh yeah, that's perfect. Uh, well, thank you again, James, for uh, coming on the show for a second time, the first one ever for this uh, podcast. So pretty big. I uh, appreciate you coming on again. Of course. Thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure. I'll uh, see you at the track hopefully next year, maybe. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> you have a good day, man. Cheers. You too. Take care. You too. that is none other than the mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe. I got to thank James once again for coming on the show and I uh, appreciate just, uh, you know, his support and wanting to uh, come on the show. So uh, thank you again, James and uh, all of his PR people. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get, have him on the show again here really soon. And it looks like we're just about out of time for today's episode. So look out for more interviews and content over the next couple weeks. Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Behind Catch. I'd like to thank you guys for listening. This is David Hoffman for Behind the Catch Fence, signing off.